silent singers, don't we? Silent singers. What a name. That's a good one. All right. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, tonight. Turn over to the book of Thess- uh, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. We're going to begin in chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read just the first four verses tonight. And then we'll see what we have there. <coughs> Paul and Silvanus, Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. The church at Thessalonica was planted by the Apostle Paul. It was during his second mission, excuse me, I don't know why, but my voice or my mouth isn't working today right at the moment. It'll get there in a minute. I'm all shook up from all those children, seeing so many at one time in my presence. I think I'll be all right here in just a moment. But the church at Thessalonica was planted by the Apostle Paul. I, I want a little bit more, brother, if you could, just a little bit on this. I feel like I'm, I have to speak out too much. Thank you. So the church at Thessalonica was planted by St. Paul during the course of his second missionary journey. Of course, you remember that memorable Philippian jailer and how ultimately he leaves that jail and says... What must I do to be saved? Well, this particular church is planted in that time frame. It's believed that Paul only spent about a month or so ministering to those people. And yet he labored so strenuously, he worked so diligently and faithfully that a church was founded and firmly established in that short time. The young converts of that particular ministry began to grow. And they grow very, very quickly. They kind of skipped the crawling stage and that toddler-type stage, and they went right on into young adulthood, so to speak, spiritually. They grew so rapidly that the apostle was able to feed them with what we would call the meat of the Word of God. He began to share with them concerning the doctrines of election the Holy Spirit, Trinity, uh, the second coming of Christ, and even holiness. Those kind of doctrines that probably in most cases would be saved for seasoned veterans or at least members of a church for some period of time. But these had grown so quickly that the Apostle Paul was able to immediately begin to feed the meat. It wasn't long after the Apostle had shared this particular letter and 
had given them, uh, excuse me, had shared this, these, uh, had started this church and had shared his first letter, that ultimately he got word back that there were some problems in Thessalonica. As a result of those problems, he would write again to them in 2 Thessalonians. The reason for his writing was that there had been a, a report and he had gotten word back that someone had forged a letter and that letter included some falsehoods. They had made it look or appear as though the Apostle Paul himself had written it. And there were some things that were going around that people said, Oh, the Apostle Paul told us to tell you these things. And he had never done that. So as a result of that, the people of God were very disturbed. Some of them had believed that they had missed the rapture and had headed right on into the tribulation period. They were concerned that the day of the Lord was at hand and that they themselves had missed the return of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes 2 Thessalonians. And he opens his letter with these encouraging words. Verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endured. This morning, this was my reading. And as I was doing my personal devotions, this passage popped out in my mind. And an outline seemed to just very simply and just kind of be embedded in the message or in this particular passage. I mean, it's right there. A three-point outline. And I thought, boy, that's a neat little outline. And so I decided I would share it with you tonight. And I want to preach what I would call a message or entitled a message entitled, How to Make Our Spiritual Leaders Thankful for Us. How to Make Our Spiritual Leaders Thankful for Us. In this case, he says he's very thankful for these. So what did they do? I think it's embedded in these two simple verses, verses 3 and 4. And I want to give you just three thoughts tonight. I mean, nobody really wants to believe that they're a burden or a weight, do they? Nobody wants to feel like they're just being carried along or that they're somehow causing difficulty or strife or struggles. No, we all want to feel that we're a blessing. We want to believe that we're a joy, both to be around and to work with. And so tonight, I want to try to encourage you in this thing. How can you, how can I become a blessing? I mean, how can we make our spiritual leaders thankful for us? And by the way, we are obligated and responsible to do that. He said, well, I'm not so concerned as to whether or not you are thankful for me. Well, you ought to be. And I'm not so concerned as to whether or not my Sunday school teacher is thankful for me. You ought to be. I believe, and I believe the Bible will bear this out, I think you ought to want even your worldly leader, so to speak, your bosses and those in authority over you in the world and the work that you do there, they ought to also be thankful for you. <clears throat> so how can we make those leaders 
thankful for us. The Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with greed, for that's unprofitable for you. It's not good for you. It's not good for me when those that I serve are not thankful for me, are not blessed by me. And so tonight, I want to encourage the church of the living God tonight. I want to encourage the membership of Community Baptist Temple. I want to try to help you understand what it takes for your leaders to be thankful for you. Both in and outside the confines of this ministry and this church. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. And Lord, we just ask tonight that you'd help us. Father, the passage is just... It's already laid out. It's all, the outline's already there. We're just going to take it right off the pages of your Bible. We're going to just plagiarize that whole thing. And Father, we thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us. Now, Father, help me tonight. I feel just a hair flustered. I'm asking you to calm my heart, my nerves. Help me, Lord, just to be in tune. And Father, just uh, in line with you. Lord, may I not say anything that would not please you. May I be completely and totally yielded to your Holy Spirit. Let me be your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes. Give me the very words you'd have me to say. And Father, may I be able to express this passage in a way that will bring glory to thee. It would encourage your people and inspire us, Father, to do and be better for you. Now, Father, may you anoint every listening ear as well. May we leave here, Father, having said it was good that they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> we have just a short time, so I'm going to get right into it. Number one, how can we ensure that we are a blessing and that our leaders, our parents, our bosses and the like are thankful for us? Number one, we need to grow exceedingly. Grow exceedingly. In the passage it says, But we are bound to give thanks always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. We need to be growing exceedingly. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> you can't hardly separate the spiritual from the physical. When the Bible refers to a pastor and he starts talking about the qualifications of a preacher, he makes the statement virtually that how a man runs his home is how he runs the house of God. Therefore, if he doesn't run his home properly, he doesn't have the, he, he's not qualified to run the house of God. <clears throat> so when I look at the passage and I start to ask some questions to myself, 
What does it mean to grow thereby or to grow exceedingly? How is that applied to my life practically as a, a believer, as one that sits in the pew, as one that is submissive, I trust, and yielded to the leadership that God's placed in front of me? Whether it's the pastor, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, a worker, adult leader, whomever it may be. How do I become that blessing to them? How do I, be, how do I make them thankful in the work that God has given them in my life? Well... If I'm going to really understand that, I think we can kind of, kind of look at it from a very practical standpoint, and that would be a parent-child relationship. That's exactly what it is, in a sense. Because if you look at Paul the Apostle, he looks at Timothy, and he calls him his son in the faith. <clears throat> As you look at a, a teacher or a worker that's led class members to Christ, he can look at that class member and say, I had the privilege of leading him or her to Christ. That makes them my son or child in the faith. As a pastor looks over the crowd and he sees folks that he's visited and he's led to Jesus Christ, whether it be out visiting, door knocking, or whether it be in their homes as a visit, uh, a visitation visit, however it may be, he looks over and he says to himself, these are my spiritual children. I'm their, their spiritual guide. And some of you may be discipling others in the church. And you've been placed in a position of authority, so to speak, or preeminence over them. Not for the purpose of standing over them and touting over them or somehow you know, stepping on their throat or crushing them, so to speak, but to encourage, to uplift, and to train and teach them. Man, listen, you became a spiritual guide to them, a spiritual father or mother to them at that point. So how do they become a blessing to you? How do they make you thankful? How do they make me thankful and others that are in charge? Well, I've, as I look at it from a child's standpoint, I think as a parent, I'm very thankful when my children are reasonable. When they're reasonable. Now, we're talking, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, we're going to grow. When a child's growing properly, they become more reasonable in, in time. Children aren't reasonable to start off with. In many cases, they're, they're very hard to get along with. You want them to be reasonable. And you know what? If you'll continue to grow in your Christian life, you'll be reasonable. Man, as a parent, you know what? When, if I sit my child down to, to eat and I put them in a high chair and they start pushing and knocking their food all over the place, they're being very unreasonable and I'm no longer very thankful for them. <clears throat> I get very frustrated at them and by them. Well, I don't want to be that child of God and I don't want to be that person in the life of a leader or someone that's influencing my life. I don't want to be that one that he looks at or she looks at and says, you're frustrating me. I want them to look and say, boy, you, you make me very thankful. Well, growth brings about that aspect. Reasonable. Children that are reasonable. But as a parent, we're also thankful for children that are responsible. You know, if you'll continue to grow in your Christian life, you'll become responsible spiritually. You know, when you first lead someone to Jesus Christ, it takes a little bit of work to get them to God's house. Sometimes a lot of work. It takes work to keep them in their Bibles. It takes a lot of work to keep them faithful to the things of Christ. To keep them away from the world and out of the, the, the clutches of Satan and out of the clutches of the world. To pull them out of that muck and mire. I know their feet are on a solid rock. I know God's already saved their soul. But there's still that element of growth that must take place. If indeed they're going to please the Master. If indeed they're going to please those leaders. If indeed they're going to make those thankful that are investing in their lives. There has to be some growth. 
Responsibility is a characteristic and quality of maturity. Are you responsible? I mean, when you're given a task to do, do you finish the task, not just start it? Do you as a church leader or a Sunday school teacher start your lesson on Saturday night at the burning the midnight oil, hoping that somehow you'll just kind of get it by osmosis by morning? Can I say to you, if I find out that that's how you're preparing your lessons, I'd be very disappointed. I wouldn't be very thankful for you, especially if you were teaching my child and that's how you operated on a weekly basis. That's very irresponsible. I want my child to have the best, and I think you do too. So if you want your child to have the best, you need to give someone else's child your best. Spiritually responsible. Boy, when a child neglects to do his chores or fails to pick up after him or herself, that is unacceptable to a parent. Or it should be. Well, why is, it ex- why is it supposed to be so acceptable in the house of God then? How's come, how's come the people of God think that leadership, whether it's their adult Bible class leader who assigns them maybe a, a class game or assigns them possibly a, a portion of the outing and they say, oh, I'll be glad to bring that. I'll be glad to do that. I'd be glad to call make those calls. I'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, somehow contact members of the class and let them know what's going on. How's come they're supposed to be all right with it when you fail to do your part of the job after you agreed to do it? They're supposed to be thankful for you? You wouldn't be very thankful for a doctor that forgot to turn your prescription into the drugstore. You wouldn't be very thankful for a teacher that was, forgot to teach your children how to read. You wouldn't be very thankful for a McDonald's employee who made your hamburger and left the cheese off if you said, I want a cheeseburger. But we think because this is volunteer work somehow that we can remain babies in Jesus Christ, never grow up and be responsible, and people are just supposed to be thankful for us. What's wrong with that picture? Grow exceedingly. Not only reasonable and responsible, but it seems to me as a parent, we're thankful when our children are respectful. See, when a child obeys and exhibits a good attitude and a sweet spirit, they are a blessing, aren't they? Can I just simply say one more time that these characteristics are evidence of growth and maturity. Too often they are lacking in our lives. And we are not reasonable, we are not responsible, and we are not respectful as we ought to be when it comes to the things of God. How many times as a parent have you thought to yourself, or maybe even expressed, grow up, act your age. See, I would never think that, whatever. Have you ever thought that? Or maybe you're watching some of these kids run around the auditorium or maybe up and down the halls, which we know they shouldn't do. But then again, your kids did and probably mine too. 
we used to think about our own children and we think about their children, we think, grow up, kid. Quit screaming. Don't you see there's people around here? Act your age. You ever think that? I do. Some of these kids around here, think about the singles class acting that way. (laughs) Grow up at your age. (laughs) I'm joking. Okay, maybe not. But anyway, the fact is, is that there comes a point if there's consistent growth or if there's normal growth that takes place in a person's life physically evidence of that can be that they exhibit some that they're reasonable they're responsible and ultimately they become more respectful as they learn and as they grow you know what that ought to be a case spiritually in our life as well toward our spiritual leaders toward those that God has placed in authority over us and even those in authority in the world How sad is it when a Christian is not respectful to their employer? What a horrible testimony that is. And we expect them to want to come to our Sunday uh, uh, Christmas program or to come to the service on the 25th. Oh, won't you come to church? And they're thinking, you don't even treat me with respect. I asked you to take care of something and you throw a fit because it's not part of your job description. They're thinking, grow up! Act your age! So as we look at the passage, I think that first of all, we see that if we really want to make those in authority over us, the leaders that God has placed in our lives spiritually, or even in the world, thankful for us, we need to grow exceedingly. Number two, we need to love liberally. Love liberally. Again, in the passage, it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you to all toward each other aboundeth. <clears throat> He says, man, I want to tell you, you Thessalonians, man, you guys are, make, us, make me so thankful. Man, not only are you growing exceedingly, but I mean to tell you, you love liberally. Now, let's take a few verses and run through the Bible a little bit. Turn to the book of John. <coughs> John chapter 13. We're going to have to move quickly. I've got a number of them. I'll give you a couple maybe and just fly through the rest because of time. In John 13, 34, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks and He makes this statement. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Fifteen twelve of that same book, chapter 15, verse 12, says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Just five verses down in 15, 17, he says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. 
Now let me just go on a rant here as I read the word. Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 1 Peter 1, 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 says, For this is the message that, I, that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In 1 John 3.23, we read, And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of the, His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. 1 John 4.7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For God is of love, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and love is perfected in us. 2 John 1, verse 5 says, And now I beseech ye, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. <coughs> Notice the theme of this love, the direction of it, who it really encompasses. It's one another. Even in our passage, he makes the statement, and the charity of, uh, charity of every one of you all toward each other abounded. <clears throat> the psalmist makes the statement of Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. There is probably nothing that grieves a pastor more than when there is strife among his members. There's nothing pleasant about children in our homes who are aggravating one another Bickering and fighting with one another. A parent is never grateful in the midst of such behavior. You come home from work or from the store or maybe mom, you're even out at the grocery store and the kids are bickering and fighting and picking. It drives you nuts. You want to just gather them all up and push them down an escalator. Now you would never do that. Okay, so maybe not an escalator, just a set of steps. Because it might, an escalator may accidentally grab a hold of a piece of clothing and tear it, and you'd have to buy new clothes. <clears throat> Don't act like you're perfect parents. Like you've never gotten upset with your kids and wanted to. I won't even say it for fear of what might come of it. <clears throat> But the truth is, is with their aggravating one another, they're fighting with one another, they're picking on one another. Man, when I'd come home from work and I'd walk in the door and I'd hear the kids, if I ever heard them screaming and fighting, that made me go crazy. So you kids know what I'm talking about in my house. They know what I'm talking about. I'd be like, what's going on down there? Man, I'm heading down. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to start plowing into people. <clears throat> I remember one time me and my brother, we were into it up in our room. We were going at it. We weren't really fighting, fist fighting, but we were slamming each other around. We were going crazy. <laughs> My dad came flying up the steps. He came running in our room. 
<clears throat> he took my brother and flung him against the wall. He grabbed me and wham! He's like, anybody's going to fight in this house, it's going to be me! <clears throat> Man, he went off. We're like... I mean, to tell you, man, I mean, there was definitely frustration exhibited there. <clears throat> I learned a valuable lesson that day. Don't fight with your brother. Run from it. Because <clears throat> I'd end up having to get thrown against the wall. <laughs> Not that I ever wanted to fight with my brother. He was pretty strong. But anyway, hey, listen, that's frustrating when your children are fighting and bickering and going at it. The Apostle Paul, along with the, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, listen, you're to love one another. That's what it's about, loving one another. <clears throat> and I, I'm fearful sometimes that we forget that amongst one another. And listen, it's easy to kick the dog when you're around those that you are most comfortable with. So maybe we've grown too comfortable. A familiarity breeds contempt that we read some places. And, and maybe we get somewhat contemptible around here because we get so familiar with one another. But let me just tell you something. God expects and demands that we love one another. We do not have a right to hold grudges, to be fighting amongst one another, to be backbiting and, and being so wicked and sinful. <clears throat> Hey, there are always going to be disagreements among people. Always some differences among family. But there's never room for fighting and division. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You know why the pastor and you know why other leaders are so burdened when the people of God... The children of God are fighting, bickering, complaining, and ripping and tearing at one another. Because we understand that the greatest enemy, the only enemy that can destroy us, is ourselves. It's not the world. It's not the media. It's not the homosexual agenda. It's not a bad political uh, uh, regime. What will destroy God and His house and the people of God is right here with us today. Us. And that's why God Himself harps on it so vehemently throughout the New Testament. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. The solution for all of this fighting, this bickering, this variance, this envying, this hatred, this strife is found in the verse that follows in Galatians 5, 14 and 15. It starts with verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The solution again is found in that simple phrase, walk in the Spirit. In the Spirit. The Spirit of God produces some qualities. Fruit, if you will. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such, there is no law. So therefore, if there's constant bickering, complaining, backbiting, slandering, gossip present, the Spirit of God is absent. When a church begins to devour itself from within, it means that we have already removed the Spirit of God from our lives. The problem is is that we are not as spiritual often as we would perceive ourselves. We get the idea that somehow spirituality is based on our attendance. I have perfect attendance, therefore I'm spiritual. No, that's not the gauge by which God views us or measures us. God looks much deeper than that. The next time you're compelled to devour, to hurt, to harm someone with your tongue, or even compelled to want to just claw their eyes out. You need to ask yourself this question. When did I dismiss the Spirit out of my life? When did I tell Him He could kindly leave for a while while I appeased the flesh? Hey, listen, this affects all of us. When schoolmates had a disagreement that came to blows, they'd wait till the teacher was absent. When the teacher left, that's when it all started. And that teacher represents the restraining force of the Spirit of God in our life. The Holy Spirit will restrain us or keep us from those kinds of activity. And He will implant the proper attitude and proper spirit toward one another. But when He leaves the room, then the fight starts. Let me tell you something. In churches, it's starting all across America. We cannot afford to let it begin here. We may have the greatest battle in our life ahead of us. The world is, is determined to squelch the fire of the gospel. The, the devil wants to thwart every effort that Christ has to redeem. We cannot allow ourselves to devour one another within. God will give us the grace and the power to overcome the world. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But not even God can protect us from ourselves if we choose to neglect and reject His Spirit and His leadership in our life. I suppose that statement isn't 100% correct. There is one way that God can deal with that situation. He removes us. Right. 
Finally, number three, as we close. If we want to make those spiritual leaders that uh, spiritual leaders thankful for us, then we need to grow exceedingly, yes. Love liberally. But number three, and finally, we need to endure patiently. Again, in verse 4, he says, So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. <clears throat> the church at Thessalonica, along with many believers in that time period, were experiencing persecution because of their faith. In Romans 5, verse 3 through 5, the Bible says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing the tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We understand that they endured great hardships and heartaches. The Apostle Paul looks at their lives and he looks at their testimony and he, he, he commends them because they, they endured patiently. But from a practical perspective, again, as we view this aspect of how to make leaders, our leaders, thankful for us, I say that we must learn to endure patiently as well. I believe that that enduring patiently manifests itself in a couple of ways. Number one, contentment. See, again, as we go back to the home, we look at a child. That child that really makes us thankful and grateful is the one who is content. The child that remains agreeable and happy and satisfied in the face of adversity and difficult. That child that's not demanding, but rather thankful for what they do have. Instead of complaining about what they don't. There's nothing easy about getting along with hundreds of people. There's nothing easy about having, you know, trying to get everybody on the same sheet of music. I mean, go ahead and tell your maybe your oldest daughter, that she gets to share a room with your youngest daughter. Do you know what makes a parent thankful? It's when she says, well, all right, if that's what we need to do, that'll be fine, Dad. But too often that's not the case, is it? A child will throw a fit. And all you want to say to them is what? Act your age. Grow up. See, when we're growing like we should, when, when we are loving like we ought to, then often enduring some grief and heartache and difficulty is possible now. Contentment. Are you content? I don't like the new room that the pastor or Mr. Hamilton put us into for our Sunday school class. I think we ought to have a bigger room. I don't know why he put us there and then put them over there. Endure patiently. 
Be content. Content. Paul the Apostle, you know it well in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Not only contentment, but consistency. He's talking about enduring patiently. Can you imagine how tempting it would have been for one of the Thessalonians to to quit on God, to give up on the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of death or in the face of persecution? When someone's coming to them and saying things like, if you don't throw that book away, if you don't stop going to church, if you don't stop uh, crying out the name of Christ, if you don't quit lifting up Jesus in the midst of this, this... this city in which we live, if you won't stop talking about the resurrected Christ, then we're going to throw you in jail. And your wife and your kids will starve. Or maybe they'll threaten to do horrible things that we can't even imagine to the family. Read about it in Fox's Book of Martyrs sometimes. And yet the Apostle Paul cries out to these believers and says, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for you because you've endured patiently. Mr. Hamilton forgets to mention your announcement. And you come unglued. One of the adult leaders promised to give you a call and pray with you this week, and they forgot. And you just pegged them as they really are, reprobate. I mean, you knew they were faking all along. These last three years, it's all been a big fake. You proved it now. Because they let you down. pastor didn't visit you because you were getting a tooth pulled. Doesn't matter that somebody just lost their husband in an automobile accident. Because it's really not about anyone but me. All I'm saying is contentment and then finally consi- or, and then consistency. Faithfulness. What about that consistency? He says, man, you guys have been faithful. Well, what is it when a child maintains a positive and consistent consistency with their spirit and their attitude? Isn't that nice? I mean, no matter what comes their way, they're still positive, they're still smiling. But let me tell you, you let a child in your home get an attitude. You've got problems. You're not thankful anymore. Now, you, I'm not saying you don't love them. That, that's not the issue. That has nothing to do with it. But I'll tell you what. It's hard to be thankful for someone that continues to treat you with disrespect, showing a poor, pitiful attitude. Well, I like that consistency. And finally, consideration. Man, when a child's understanding and flexible, when they finally realize that others are human also, not just them. You're doing all right. It makes it easy to be thankful for them. When they can overlook your faults as you've sought to overlook theirs, 
When they can accept your apologies as you can accept theirs. Boy, if we want to really make those that are in charge of us or those leaders in our lives, those spiritual leaders thankful for us, then we need to grow exceedingly. We need to, to, to love liberally. And finally, we need to endure patiently. I don't know about you, but that's a tall order. Anybody that says, well, that's easy, hasn't been doing it too long. And I'm not saying that anybody's perfect, and I'm not saying that, that we got it all figured out, but let me tell you something, we ought to be working at it all the time. I want to be a blessing to those that God places in leadership in my life. I want them to be thankful that God allowed me to be a part of their life. I don't want to go to, I didn't want to go to Bible college and have someone say, boy, I sure thought you being in class was miserable. You made my class a mess. I wanted to say, boy, you've been a delight. You've been a blessing. I'm so thankful that God sent you here to this school to be part of this class. Doesn't mean you're the best student. Doesn't mean you get the best grades. Boy, there's something that just shines through. A heart, a desire. I mean, you're wanting to grow. You have this great insatiable desire to, to grow in Christ. I mean, you want to love people and just show consideration and to, you know, tolerance even in some situations. You want to just make people feel welcome and encourage them and embrace them. You want, you want God to bless you. You want Him to bless everyone else around you. And I'll tell you what, that's something that we need in the house of God. Not just in a Bible college. Not just at work. Not just in the home. We need it at God's house. And I just want to encourage you to strive to be that Christian that makes those that God has placed over you thankful. And you know what? You'll be the benefactor of that. And you'll be the benefactor not only in your own life, but as you see your children moving on you'll see evidence of those same characteristics and qualities in their life. And man, that's when it really pays off. So tonight, let's work hard at making our spiritual leaders thankful for us. And even those leaders in the world that God places over us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. We just pray, Lord, you'd bless us. God, may you be with your people. Father, thank you, Father, for the effort, the work that's been put forth here at Community Baptist Temple. But, Lord, as we begin to take strides, as we always are in the process of moving forward, we don't ever want to become our own worst enemy. Father, help us not to devour one another, to truly be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, to allow you, Father, to, to really just gird us up and to strengthen us and to reveal even to us those areas of our life that are weak so that we can continue to grow. Continue to love and to be patiently enduring in the midst of even difficult times. Lord, there's always going to be that person or that situation that's going to really test our resolve for You. Help us, Father, not to allow ourselves to become the problem, but instead become part of the solution. 
We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. As the pianist plays, won't you come if God speaks to your heart? I want to be part of the solution. I, I want to have the proper spirit and the proper attitude. I want every teacher at school to be thankful I'm in their class. I want my mom, my dad to be thankful that God put me in their family. I want my Sunday school teacher or my adult leader to be thankful that I'm a part of their class. I want the pastor to say, boy, it's a joy being your pastor. I just want to be a blessing. Then grow exceedingly.